Hallelujah. Well, I want to introduce you uh, to a uh, wonderful man of God. His name is Joshua Grimes, Pastor Joshua Grimes from Plainville Open Bible Church in Ohio. From, I said Plainville, didn't I? Yeah. Plainview Open it's Bible plain Church. Bill, it's Plainville. <laughs> uh, Plainview Open Bible Church uh, in Ohio, uh, my home stomping ground area, about an hour from where I grew up. And uh, we built a relationship. Uh, we were kind of talking about where we first met. It was uh, in Orlando, Florida at the convention and just made a, a, a real connection right there. And then from that, uh, I've had an opportunity to go out and speak in his church and do a youth camp. It was an amazing youth camp. And uh, enjoyed tremendously ministering to all the kids. But at the end of the camp, I don't know if you remember me sharing that Pastor Joshua called me up and said he had a word for me. And in that word, he said that God's going to fill your house, the church house, with sons and daughters again. Now, not that we don't have sons and daughters, but, but I remember the times where we had young men and women all over the place around here. And uh, I took that as, as God's word to me because... The day before I left for that camp, um, I was laying in bed talking to Angie, and you know how that pillow talk goes, and you just kind of pour your heart out, and I said, you know, I just want to see a generation of young people raised up again, Amen. and so uh, one of the things in that prophetic word was is that God was going to fill the house with sons and daughters, and some of the sons and daughters would return. Now, how many were here when Ferris Cox preached? How many were here? Yeah? A bunch of you. How many remember the word he gave that... That, that God was going to do a new thing and there's going to be a new level of grace, a new level of favor, and that even some of those you invested in are going to feel a call to return. How many remember that word? Amen. Rob Bray, would you come up here front and center? <laughs> Face the congregation. And here's the deal. Rob and Bethany are moving back and they're going to be a part of Gateway. And uh, they're going to serve. Uh, Rob's going to be painting and, and working with uh, Pastor Vance from Black Forest Church and, and serving his way back into the things here at Gateway Church. And so I want us to warmly welcome him and, and, and Bethany. He's come down ahead of Bethany to work. And, uh, and Bethany's going to be uh, joining us in three weeks, is it? Right after Thanksgiving. And so he'll head back up for Thanksgiving and then uh, pack everything up and, and head on down here. So, uh, you know, make sure you hug his neck. You know, as he leaves today. Amen. Rob, love you. All right. Let me turn this over to the man of God so he can bring the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. So good to be with you. you guys have a wonderful church, beautiful facility. It is, I, I haven't been to Colorado Springs since I was a kid, and it's just absolutely beautiful looking out and seeing the mountains and all the beautiful uh, scenery, you got to go to, what was that called, 11 Mile something, 11 Mile Canyon, man, that was awesome, I couldn't hardly breathe when I first got here, though, <laughs> thought I was like just getting old and fat, but I realized that, you know, being up, up high, I guess it causes a little bit of issues, but had a great time with your pastor, I want you to know that, uh, and I don't say this, I'm not one of those guys who throw out compliments left and right, but you have one of the greatest pastors I've ever met, awesome man of God, awesome family. <laughs> And uh, so hospitable to, to me, and I just, you know what, I feel like I'm at home here, amen? This is my home in the Rockies, hallelujah. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to a very powerful passage of Scripture this morning. If you can go ahead and put up, uh, I've got, uh, you, you've got some notes to take with you today. Now, the, it, it's a proven fact that you're only going to retain about 10% of what I say this morning 
unless you're willing to take some notes. If you do that, uh, that jumps upwards to 80%. The message that I'm going to be speaking this morning is a very practical message. Matter of fact, um, uh, I was supposed to be here near conference time and speak, and my father-in-law passed away, and I was unable to make it. And uh, so the message I was going to speak then was this particular message. But uh, when I was coming back this time, I, you know, I really wanted to preach. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worshiper, man. I love to preach on worship and the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And I mean, I just love God's Word. And I really, really wanted to bring a few things. But you know what? God said, no, I want you to bring this message. This message is a life message of mine. It's something that God began to deal with me. I started preaching to adults when I was 13 years old. I started pastoring my first church when I was 20. Now, in order to do that, I, I had great resources. I'm a third-generation preacher. My daddy was my mentor, my friend, my pastor still is. We still love each other. We still go hunt together. He's still my pastor. He's still my mentor. Helped lead me in a direction. But as a young man, I remember relying upon the Holy Spirit for direction and guidance, dealing with people. I, I'll never forget... I'd been in this church for about three months. We had jumped from, a, we started with a, a, a core group of 12. Within three months, we're running 60 people. And, and, and here's the deal. The vast majority of those people got saved there were alcoholics and drug addicts that got delivered. I've never drank anything in my life. I've never smoked anything in my life. I didn't know how to identify. And, and after service, this lady came up and said, Pastor, can I talk to you privately in your office? I said, Sure. She comes in, I sit down behind my desk, Pastor Derek, and she begins to talk to me. And I'll never forget, I was like at a cow at a new gate. I did not even know what she was saying existed in the world. Never heard it before. And she's talking, and I'm sitting there thinking, in my mind, I'm praying, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to say to this lady? And as soon as she said, what do you think, Pastor? I was just about to say, I have no idea. And the Holy Spirit took over, and I began to speak words of wisdom that I didn't even know what I was speaking, but I began to speak words of wisdom and spoke into her life and saw change happen to her family. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit works like that? But let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that you don't have to work on your end. See, every one of you came in here with a weapon this morning. Some of you might have a physical weapon. Hope not. Unless somebody comes running in the back, then I hope you do. But every one of you came in with a weapon. It's called your tongue. The Bible says, as we're going to read in a moment, that death and life are in the power of our tongue. See, we can speak life into a situation or we can speak death. Matter of fact, you're doing one or the other. Now, some of us say, well, well, Pastor, you know, I love people and I love God and so on and so forth. And, and, and have you ever met those people? They just seem really spiritual. At least they think they are. But they have problems with everybody. But it's everybody else's problem. I believe that one of the greatest obstacles in the world today for the American church Inside the church is communication, but I also believe that one of the biggest barriers of the church to be the church to the world is communication. We only have one job to do on this earth. How many Christians have never, ever led someone to Jesus Christ? It's a sad fact. I, I, I quit having people raise hands because I get depressed. It's not because we don't want to. It's because we don't know how 
or we're afraid of communicating that gospel message. So this morning, we're going to have fun. Is it all right to have fun in church? Somebody asked my wife one time, what's it like to be married to that guy? She said, there's never a dull moment. If it is not fun, I'm going to make it fun. So we're going to have fun this morning. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. Your elbow's going to get sore because you're going to be, honey, he's preaching to you. Listen. And that's okay as long as you realize I'm preaching to you too. Amen? All right, let's open our Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. It says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach is satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Verse 21, if you have a pen, underline this in your Bible. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, I've heard my whole life, death and life are in the power of the tongue, but one day as I was reading the scripture, this last phrase jumped out at me. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And I remember asking the Lord, Lord, what does that mean? What is the fruit? I begin to understand as God began to lead me through a, and again, this is a life message. It's building. It's continually building. I preach the same message two years from now. It might look just a little bit different because it's evolving and growing. As God is teaching me how to communicate with the world and how to communicate with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I want you to look real careful, if you will, at, uh, at your board. You're going to be seeing something here in just a minute. Unless you live like this picture depicts, unless you're up on some mountaintop somewhere, living in some tent with no electricity and candles and nobody around, unless you live like that, you're going to have communication problems. One of the greatest problems in marriage, what is it? Communication. What is one of the most difficulties in the workplace? Communication. What is the most, the, the biggest, and I'm a pastor and I have been for over 25 years, what is the biggest problem in churches? Communication. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. Sister Bucket Mouth talking again. Brother Lennon's at it again, pastor. He said this and he said that. And oftentimes I've had people come up and say, well, they said, and I'm like, do you even know them? Because if you know them, then you would know their heart, and that's not their heart. Can you say amen? Now, this morning, I'm going to go through about six things that are going to make you crack up and laugh. Because you're going to identify. Here's what you're going to do. When I start talking about, you're going to be like, ha, ah, I know that guy. I know that girl. Some of you are going to be like, I'm married to that woman. And that's all right, okay? Being an effective communicator is not the type of communicator you are. Listen to this. You miss everything else, listen to this. Being an effective communicator is not the type of communicator you are, but rather your ability to identify with how other people communicate and then learning to communicate on their level. Let me give you an example. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Now, when, when your kids are little bitty babies or toddlers, do you talk to them like this? Oh, honey, don't you understand that the temperature outside dictates that we must wear warm clothing. No. What do we do? Oh, baby boo, it's cold outside. 
You might even sing one of those Barney songs. Cold, burr, I wish I had fur. I wish I was a bear with furry, furry hair. Now don't look at me like that because I know you talk to your kids that way. See, when you're communicating with children, what do you do? You get down on their level and communicate with them to their level. Amen? So see, you're effectively communicating with kids because you're getting on their level. But you know what? Adults have different levels too. We all communicate differently. The way in which we were raised and born. The God-given uh, uniqueness of who we are dictates the way we communicate. Now, as I go through these types of communicators, realize that there's not a right one or a wrong one. Okay? We're not talking about right or wrong this morning. We're just talking about different. Now, some are better at communicating effectively to groups of people than others. But you know what? Every one of you, whether you like it or not, fall into one of these categories. I want to show you something. Every one of you fall into one of these categories, but secondary, you could fall into some others. And as I go through, I'll kind of identify with you kind of the way that I am. All right, so let's take a look. If you got your notes, write this one down. Number one, and that is the bottom line communicator. Somebody say bottom line communicator. Now, I, I primarily fall into this category, okay? I'm a bottom line guy. Just get it done in as few words as possible. Just give me the facts. Matter of fact, if you want to communicate with a bottom liner, you can't go around Dick's barn or you lose them. They're gone. I got the attention span of a gnat. All right? So, and, and you know what? I'm an awesome counselor. If you can tell me your problem in two minutes and I can give you an answer in five. If it goes beyond that, by golly, I love you and I'm going to send you on to somebody more qualified. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Now, at least I'm honest, right? Now, some of us are bottom line community. Just give me the fact. And some of you ladies, you know what I'm talking about because your men are bottom liners. And you're like, and your husband's like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, huh? yeah, I want more than a yeah. Come on, somebody. Bottom line communicator. All right, let's move on to the next one. This next one is uh, uh, who I married. <laughs> somebody say cruise control. I married me a cruise control. See, here's what a cruise control communicates. See, a cruise control just loves the journey. It's not about the passing of information. It's not about getting the facts. It's about taking the ride. It's that kind of person who likes to go out on a Sunday drive and just drive. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just driving. I worked with a guy who was a cruise control, and you know what his dream was? His dream was to one day go on vacation, pack no clothes, get in a car, and just drive. I thought to myself, where are you going to go? It doesn't matter. It's the journey. And I'm thinking to myself, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo. Stupid. I mean, when I go on a journey, by golly, I don't know where I'm at, where I'm going. And, and I'm, I am so articulate about it that I want to know the shortest distance and route. When I drive to the church, I've tried 40 different ways to drive to church to find out which one is the shortest. And if I get off track, or if I see a, a, a you know, they put up a little sign saying road construction, oh, got to take a detour. Bottom liners don't like detours. Matter of fact, bottom liners like when you're in a conversation, they want to talk about, and you know, cruise control, they go, and I'm about to answer my wife and she's on to a new thing. I'm like, well, what about, 
You didn't finish. She's home for the drive. Now listen, if you want to communicate with somebody that you have identified as a cruise control, you got to take a ride with them. When I want to talk to my wife, you know what I do? I sleep up, pray up, and eat up. Because we're going to be there a while. And I sit, and I learn to say, uh-huh, yeah, you go, girl. Give it to me, honey. Yeah. Half the time, I have no idea what she's talking about. But she doesn't know. I just keep affirming her. Why? I'm taking the ride with her. I'm taking the journey. You know, we're riding along, and all of a sudden, we're in this conversation. She shoots over here, and it shoots over there. And, I, you know, I'm just like, when we get done I'm sitting laying in bed at night thinking over my day and I'm thinking about what we talked about and I have no idea but we had a good time we took a ride together now let me talk about this third one this third one is a really a newer one this is coming up in the last couple of years something I've identified that's the Roger Rabbit communicator all right a Roger Rabbit communicator is very animated energetic somebody who's always spontaneous this type of person throws out all kinds of half-formed ideas not to gather information just likes throwing out half-formed ideas they enjoy evolving other people what do you think what about this what about inventing this what about that what about here what about there and you go to answer and they just they just keep going they just want to get you involved in the conversation Enjoy, these people enjoy being around people. They enjoy variety. They're curious. They're impulsive. Hey, let's do this. Right the last minute. You don't think about no plans. Let's just do it. But this person also tends to overlook detail. I remember dealing with a Roger Rabbit. And I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And you know what? Probably a fourth of what they say is actually pretty cool. But they have so many ideas and their minds go in so many different ways and so many different directions. And I mean, here, there, and everywhere. And they're, all, they're always here and always there. And, and I said, well, what about, and, and when you start getting to where the rubber meets the road, they don't like detail. They just like talking about the plan. They, wanna, they don't want the detail, they just want the plan. Now, I have learned that if you want to communicate with this type of person, You've got to corral them in, learn to hold their attention. It's almost like herding cats. Almost as dangerous, too. Because <laughs> you might say something and get a, wow! But you know what? There's no more fun person to be around than a Roger Rabbit, man. They make life fun. Can you say Amen. All right, let's look at the next one. This next one's pretty funny, too. Um, this is a, what you call a, what's my line communicator. Now, they are the ones who think that you should know what they're saying even when they're not saying anything at all. Have you ever had somebody, you know, they look to you for an answer and you had no idea what the question was? This type of person, it's not that they're not talking. They do, do, they do a lot of talking, but they don't say anything of substance. They're not getting their points of Christ. And sometimes they even look to others to complete their sentences. There's a lot of husband and wife teens that are like this. I remember dealing with a, a lady in our church, and 
She's a what's my line, you know? And I'd ask her a question, you know, and then, and then her husband would answer from across the room. I'm like, <laughs> I was talking to, to her. And, and it, you know what I found out? That if I wanted to get anything out of her, I better have her husband around. I ain't going to get nothing. A what's my line communicator. Now, one of the problems about a what's my line communicator is that um, they will often try to communicate through social media. They won't say nothing to you when they're with you. But then they'll say something on social media and nobody knows what they're talking about but you. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, huh, why didn't she just tell me that in person? She didn't know how to say it. He didn't know how to say it. They're a what's my line communicator. Now, if you want to communicate with a person like that, you have got to help them clarify and be concise. you got to ask questions like, do you mean this? What do you mean by that? You've got to ask qualifying questions for them to give you so you know exactly what they are talking about. Now, let's move on to the next one. This next one is uh, what I call a kumbaya. You guys remember that old song? Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. They communicate by their feelings. They're very emotionally or feeling-based people. Many times they're, K-sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. But then at other times, they look like they ate three lemons for breakfast. Now, it's not necessarily, I'm not saying that they're a moody person. All I'm saying is that their makeup is different than others. Matter of fact, a, a kumbaya communicator, if they don't feel it, they're not going to get it. Now, I had a drummer a long time ago, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of musicians fall into this category passionate, emotional. I mean, when, when, when they're feeling it, man, you're like, whoa, listen to them. And when they're not, you're like, whoa, what happened to them? <laughs> now, I'm not saying, if you're a musician here this morning, I'm not saying that you definitely are, but what I'm saying is you probably got some of these traits. Now, this drummer of mine, he actually became one of the greatest preachers that I've ever trained. He's still in ministry today. He's at the church that I started in Winchester, left it to one of my associate pastors to go on and, and do some other works of the Lord. He's still there preaching, doing great. But, you know, Doug was one of the, and I got his permission to use his name. Doug was one of these guys who, man, when he was feeling it, I could tell him anything I wanted to tell him. I mean, if he was feeling I could be bottom line. I could say, Doug, that doesn't match, dude. He's, he's a bachelor. You know how that goes. Dude, that don't match. My goodness, son. Comb your hair. Look like you just rolled out of bed, boy. Didn't you shave this morning? What's up with that? You know, it, it, no problem. Oh, yeah, Pastor. Oh, sorry about that, man. I was in a hurry. No problem, dude. It's cool. But if Doug wasn't feeling it and he wasn't in the mood, I'd say, Doug, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? What's wrong with me? He'd clam up, you behind the drum. We'd be singing Amazing Grace. Taking his frustrations out on the drum set. You know what I'm saying? Now, I have, I have learned to communicate with kumbayas because what I do is, first of all, I wait till they're in the mood. Because if they're not, I'm just spitting in the wind. But I've also learned that with a, with a kumbaya, you can help facilitate a mood. You can help bring them around. Can you say amen? 
And I have, I have mastered the art of taking a kumbaya and turning it around into where they want to shout the battle cry with you and run into battle. That's not an easy thing to do, but it's necessary. All right, let's look at the last one. Now, this last type of communicator, I'm going to be honest with you. If you fall into this category, you drive everybody nuts. You absolutely drive them crazy. A butt-lip communicator. Really, you can't even call them a communicator because they just don't communicate. They don't say any. You ask them a question, you get one of these. I had a guy I worked with, and I would ask a question. I'd say, hey, man, what? What's up? I asked a yes or no question. Whoa, dude, is it yes or is it no? First time I went to India, I got uh, several orphanages over there, a few of them that I've started myself and our church supports. And uh, first time I went, I would ask these Indian questions and I'd get this. It looked like a bobblehead toy. So I'd ask a question to go, I'm like, dude, what was that? So I'd ask again, whoa, is that a yes or is that a no? I don't know what this in-between head bobble deal is. <laughs> but the first time I went, I didn't want to offend, you know, so I just kept asking the question, and they just kept bobbling, and they kept bobbling, and they kept bobbling, and I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. See, it's, you get frustrated around button-lit people because you're wanting to talk something out, or you're wanting to talk something through, or you want to bring some ideas, or you want to get some input, and all you get is one of these. Or you get the stare. Man, I want to slap that stare off your face, boy. Say something. Yell at me. Spit on me. I don't care. Just open your mouth. Let me know your lips still work. All right? That's a button lip communicator. Now, let me tell you something. There, there are those type of people in our churches. And, and, and let me tell you something about button lip. Though they can be frustrating, they can also be your best friend. They're going to be the ones that are behind you when everybody else is running the opposite direction. So there's a lot of good things about button lips. But listen, in order for you to talk to a button lip, you've got to be very patient. Somebody say patient. You know, that's not one of those things I've got. Matter of fact, I remember going to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, I am not a very patient person. What is the deal? He said, you've never asked for patience. I said, well, I was told in Sunday school, don't pray for patience. He said, then don't complain because that's why you ain't got it. And over the years, I've had to learn to develop patience because let me tell you something. Talking with button lip people can drive you insane. Can you say amen? So you've got to learn to be patient. And if they know that you love them and they know that you're listening to them and they know that you care, then you're going to be able to open up that can and begin to speak into their lives. One of the greatest problems that we as Christians have to deal with do with communication problems I believe it has to do with two things and, and I want to share those with you a lack of communication or a misunderstanding of communication I found this picture on the internet the other day and I thought it looked like a few church members I attend church with just always at each other's throats always just shouting something back and forth and what it is is they're just not getting one another 
And if they would just learn that the, their misunderstanding of one another is the issue and not the person themselves, a lot of the issues would be taken care of. Now, I want to I talk about something. We have got to create an atmosphere. Ladies, how many of you know that when you want your man to take you out to eat, you want to, the atmosphere is important, right? You know, here we got a picture of sitting down to a good candlelight dinner and, and, and you know, they've got uh, the fine china out and, and it, it's just a romantic atmosphere. What's going to happen in this atmosphere? There's not going to be a burping contest happening in this atmosphere. At least not on the left side of the table, okay? What happens? In this atmosphere, you're creating a way in which you can expel your love or share your love with your spouse. Can you say amen? Well, let me tell you something. Communication requires an atmosphere. Too many people just want to walk up and they want to just get it out. I just got to get this off my chest. I'm just going to give her a piece of my mind. Honey, that's your problem. You gave away too many pieces over the years. When I was a young man, I was preaching and and, and, and this lady walks up to me, and you know, here I'm 20 years old, pastor in a church. She looks at me, and you know, I've been in the way for 40 years, boy. And I said, honey, and you're still in the way. If you'd get out of the way, we'd have a good time. We've got to create an atmosphere. Somebody say atmosphere. If you want to communicate, the first and foremost important thing is you have to have an atmosphere of love. Can you say amen? The reason why I could tell my son, you are a knothead, dude. Why did you do that? Why? Because he knows that I love him. I can say anything I need to say to my kids because they know that I love them. I have created an atmosphere of love for them and they know that, hey, no matter what, dad might even make a mistake, but he loves us. And if you want to communicate with your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you've got to have a heart of love. And if you don't have one, go to the altar and get one. And I'll be honest with you, some people are hard to love. Somebody say amen. <laughs> some people are, are really difficult to love. But that doesn't mean that you just drop it. You've got to love them. Let's look, let's look at next. You have to have an atmosphere of acceptance. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. Me and my wife disagree on almost everything. But she accepts me for who I am. And I accept her for who she is. She's unique in her callings and abilities with God. She does things. Listen to me, folks. When my kids fall over and hit their head and they got a bruise or a knot or they're bleeding, they don't come to dad. Dad's going to say, suck it up, sucker. Mommy, oh, come here, baby. Oh, we love you. We love you. How many knows that that's why we need fathers and mothers in our kids' lives? If we only have mothers, they turn out to be spoiled wimps. If we have only fathers, they, they turn to be brutes. Come on, somebody. So we need them both. But we've got to create this atmosphere of acceptance. You don't, it doesn't mean you have to accept their opinion or agree with it. But you accept them as a person. Can you say amen? Let's look next. You've also got to have a, a level of understanding. Now, what does that mean? You need to look at where people are coming from. I have found out, and, and, and I was amazed when I found this out, not everybody was raised like me. I feel sorry for all you folks who wasn't, but you know, 
Not everybody. Matter of fact, let me, let me, uh, let me explain that to you real quick. When me and my wife, I, I've been with my, my wife since I was 16 years old. I got married when I was 18. Two weeks after I got married, I left for Bible college. And I remember my dad didn't want to do the ceremony because he wanted to be a part of the ceremony. So there was an, another guy that I consider a pastor in my life. He was doing the ceremony. And he wanted to do premarital counseling. And I was 18 and I knew everything. I don't need counseling. By golly, I'm going to school and I'm going to be the one giving it. If my wife has any problems, I'll just tell her. So you know what I did is I go to Bible college and man, we were about three months into this journey and man alive, I thank God we were far away from home because she would have probably went back home. You know what I mean? We were just clashing and clashing. Finally, I went and I was telling this counselor, there's something wrong with my woman, man. You got to drag us in here and counsel this lady. So we come into this, and this counselor was so awesome. He was just a neat guy, soft-spoken, unlike me. And, and he comes in, and our first, I'll never forget this, our first meeting. He says, now, Melissa, what do you think the problem is in your guys' relationship? My wife starts bawling. <laughs> I don't think he loves me. And I'm like, huh? What was that last night? I'm just going to be honest. That's, that's what's going through this 18-year-old brain. What do you think last night was, honey? She said, and, he, and, I'm, and I start to, he goes, I got, I got, I got. You'll have your chance. <laughs> now, why don't you think that he loves you, Melissa? <laughs> he don't ever eat dinner with me. I'm like, what? Does it look like I've missed very many meals? I ate with you last night. What do you mean no one eat I ate with you last night. Well, I'm thinking in my head, oh, man, she's lying. And the counselor could tell I was frustrated. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I felt like a pit bull on the end of a chain with a stake being dangled in front of his nose. I mean, I was ready to pounce. I tell you what, we need to have a deliverance for this woman. She's a liar. I eat every day. She cooks it. I eat it. Even if it ain't good. I knew I shouldn't have complimented that meal last night. So she began to explain how her family at 5 o'clock every day sat down as a family and sat and they ate dinner together as a family and then the, and no one could be dismissed until they were all done and all the family communication happened around the table. And I'm thinking, that happens? Dude, I've seen that on like Leave it to Beaver, but I didn't know that was real. Now, my dad was a good pastor, and, and I was raised in a Christian home. We did, listen, first of all, my mom did not cook. We went out to eat every day, okay? No cooking for my mama. She would make a few dishes. One of them she called meatloaf. She'd make it about once a year, and thank God it was only once a year. We went out to eat, man, and we would go up to the, and, and man, we would belly up to the buffet, and Okay, and man, we'd be shoveling our food in, and not one conversation happens. By golly, we're eating. This is not talking time. This is eating time. Listen, I'm being serious. I have been kicked out of four buffets in my life. We're on vacation, and this guy comes up and says, you don't come back no more. And my mom was embarrassed, and she starts yelling at me, and dad says, well, honey, it says all you can eat. Yeah, but it ain't him eat all. 
Not a whole lot of conversations happen around our table. Now, I didn't know any better. And I'm not saying that the way my wife did it was right and the way that my parents did it were wrong. All I'm saying is they were different. And here my wife is, she would make dinner, and this is what I would do. She'd go, dinner's ready. Woo! I'd run and get my plate. Enough for her. She don't need that much. And off to the TV I would go, and I would sit down, and I would show. If you've ever ate with me, I'm like a Kirby vacuum cleaner. And she would come walking in with her little plate and sit down on the couch next to me, and I'm already done eating and not one bit of conversation ever took place so my wife thought he doesn't love me because he doesn't want to spend time communicating with me I didn't even know there was a such thing so see you've got to have a level of understanding you've got to try to figure out where people come from and the way in which they're raised and last but not least there's got to be trust communication cannot happen outside of trust if I don't trust you, I'm not going to tell you anything. But if I trust you, I'll tell you everything. Now, how many knows that these things don't come natural? They don't come easy. You have got to work on these things. Just like uh, when I want to take my wife out to a romantic meal, I've got I've to work at it. Because I'll be honest, there's not a whole lot of romantic, I know it's going to shock you ladies, but there's not a whole lot of romantic things in my body. I've got to work at it. I got to work for this atmosphere to create, to make my wife feel special and loved. And, and you know what? My wife, it just comes natural to her. It just kind of flows from her. So we have got to work on this atmosphere in order for communication to happen in our marriage. But folks, let me tell you something. Think about this in a church setting. Oh, we love everybody. Really? How many of us, if, if, if I tell my wife, brother, that I love her and I'm slapping her upside the noggin every day, do I truly love her? I'm saying the words, but do I really do it, all right? And a lot of us church people, we're good at saying, Oh, love you, love you, hallelujah, love you, brother in Christ, love you. And you don't even know their name. Do you love them? How can you love somebody you don't know? How did a guy come to me the other day? Hey, uh, I, I seen that you talk about so-and-so. I don't even know who they are. Well, uh, uh, they've been coming to church here for three years. I wonder why I don't know them. Maybe because you're self-absorbed. Maybe because you're too busy. Maybe because you're not working on an atmosphere to build a relationship with that person. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Somebody, I'm going to amen myself. Amen, Pastor Josh. That's good preaching. You keep it up. I don't need an amen corner. We have got to learn to circumvent other people's shortcomings, overlook their faults, and make an effort to communicate with them. And in order to do that, you have got to get down on that person's level. Now, listen here, folks. If we cannot communicate with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will never be able to effectively communicate with the world around us. You know why? Now, I know I'm out here in the West, but out in the East, everybody knows who the Hatfield McCoys are. It was a feud that went on for, you know, so many years, and, and, and just fighting back and forth. And when it came right down to it, there was really nothing to be fighting about anyway. Listen, the, the, the world views us as the church like the Hatfield McCoy hour. And then we wonder why they don't want to come and be a part of our congregation when we're having church splits over the stupidest things. Now, in Kentucky, not too far from where this, this feud happened, there was a little white church on the hill. 
had about 40 people in the church, been there for many, many years. They got into a discussion on painting the church a different color because all churches have to be white. So you had half of them wanted a white church. White stands for paradise. White's the church. We can't have any color church. Come on, the colors are from the devil. Then you have another group of people saying, no, man, we want it to look pretty. Check this out. One Sunday morning, 20 people showed up to go to church, and half of their church building was gone. The other 20 came with a chainsaw, fired it up, cut the building in half, hauled it off with mules to the other side of the hill to start their own church. Now, let me ask you a question. You laugh, but that's a true story. Do you, do, do you wonder why the world don't want to be a part of us when we can't even get along over a color of a church? I remember a, a lady came to my dad and said, are we having an Easter egg hunt this year? My dad says, well, I don't know. I'm not in charge of the kids' ministry. Well, I just want you to know, if we have an Easter egg hunt, then I just ain't going to be coming to church here anymore. That's to the devil. It wasn't 20 minutes later, some other lady walked up and said, hey, are we going to have an Easter egg hunt this year? And he said, I don't know. Well, I'm just going to tell you, if we don't have an Easter egg hunt, we're going to go to some other church that does, because that's just ridiculous. You know what my dad said? Both y'all can leave. <laughs> get out of here. Come on. When I get to heaven and stand before God, he's not going to be like, oh, Easter egg hunt over here. Not an Easter egg hunt. Oh, over there. How many knows that God has bigger fish to fry? He's got more things to worry about than whether I like to paint eggs or carve pumpkins or have trees. Come on, somebody. I had to throw that one in, bro. If we're going to effectively communicate, then we have got to create an atmosphere. And here's what I want you to start doing. Today when you leave, I want you to start thinking about not just who you're married to. Don't go home and say, honey, he just read your mail. Oh, my goodness, you are. What's my line? Do you know, did you see the picture of that lady up there pulling her hair out? That's me every day. <laughs> now, I'm saying go home and discuss it, but don't go home and start pointing fingers, all right? Amen. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it a step further. I want you to think about people in the church. I want you to think about what kind of communicator they are. And maybe the reason why you're not getting along with them is because you're just on different levels. And what you need to do is you need to be, you need to man up, if you will. Come on, coming from a man, you got to man up and get down on their level. You got to be like that mother going to that little, oh, you're pretty little bit of you. My wife would talk like that to my kids. I'm like, we're going to grow up talking like that. Come on. Talk normal. That's why they go to mommy when they're hurting. Because daddy's mean when they're hurting. Mommy's nice. We're just different. Amen? All right. Now, I want to I take this message a step further. Okay? I believe we as the church have got to come to a place where we control that weapon that each of us holds. Every one of us came in with a concealed weapon that can cause some severe damage. The Bible says that a tongue is a world of evil. And it's set on fire... By hell itself, James 3, 3 through 12. Now, I want you to understand this here, folks. Misunderstandings can cause us to use our tongue as a weapon instead of a communication tool. 
And too many times we're using our tongue for the wrong purpose. We're, we're using our tongue to store up ammunition to get them back. They hurt my feelings last week. By God, I'm getting them back. And then we start shouting out things to them or saying those snide little comments under our breath that we know everybody else can hear, but we pretend like they can't. Come on, somebody. We start using our tongues in, in ways in which cause problems. In Proverbs 13, verse 3, it says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips is going to have destruction. Matter of fact, I want you to know that purposely or recklessly using your tongue in the wrong reason for the wrong purpose bangs hurt feelings. In this process, there can be these hurt feelings. Now, sometimes we don't even mean to. Sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes it's just because I'm a bottom liner. I've offended people. L- let me tell you how much of a bottom liner I am. I have got a serious one-track mind. Come on, man, if you're with me, say amen. I'm telling you, I could be watching my TV program and the house could be on fire. And I'm like, man, it's hot in here. Man, what's going on? I was in Pastor Derek's car the other day and that bell's just a ding. Ding, 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 ding. He looks over and goes, man, can you put a seatbelt on? This thing's driving me crazy. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, dude. Sorry, dude. We're in a conversation. I don't even hear it. All right. Just total one-track-minded. I don't even know. And there's times when people ask me a question, and I'm in a hurry, and because I'm a bottom liner, I just throw out a three-word answer and walk off, and they get offended because they think that I've done something purposely when I, I didn't do it at all. I'm just in a hurry. When I first started pastoring, I had to have my wife after service. I always make it a point to stand in the back and shake everybody's hand. Mother, I had to have my wife stand next to me. And when I felt her elbow going into my ribs, it was... You're supposed to be listening to somebody right now. You know, because I'm like, hey, God bless you. Good to see you. Amen. That's all I had to say. And they want to start talking about something. And, I, and you know what? I'm like the, have you ever seen Over the Hedge? You ever seen the squirrel? I'm like, mm, nut, woo. My mind just goes here and goes there. So I'm over here doing this. And my wife's going, mm, mm, And I'm going, oh, oh, brother. So sorry to hear that. I have no idea what he said, but I'm still sorry. I had to start looking at facial expressions. Am I supposed to be happy or sad right now? See, I had to work on it. I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm still not good. I'm working on it. And I'm learning to identify with what type of person. I'm, matter of fact, now when I stand at the back and cruise control comes by, I'm like, hmm, journey, journey, journey. And there's sometimes I'm like, cruise control, don't have time. It's not because I don't want to talk to them. It's because I don't want to offend them. And I don't have time to take the journey today. Come on, somebody. So we've got to work to identify what kind of communicator they are and then learn to communicate on their level. Now, I want you to look at this for a moment because I believe this is very important. And that is this. The Bible says that whether you offend someone or whether you are offended by someone, I might have just skipped that. Can I go back? There we go. Fancy gadgets. Whether you offended or whether you offend, the scripture gets you going both ways. I had a lady one time, she was mad at somebody, just mad in a hornet. She'd come in, and I said, hey, listen, you need to go make it right with that person. She says, I didn't do anything wrong. It was them. 
And I said, well, listen, you need to be the bigger woman, and you need to go make it right. I'm telling you, I prayed about it, and I'm waiting for her to come make it right. You can pray about it till you're blue in the face, honey. God's word tells you to do it. If you don't do it, you're disobedient. Whether you offend someone or whether they offend you, it doesn't matter. It's your responsibility as a Christian to go make it right. Go deal with this. That doesn't mean you have to agree. That doesn't mean that, uh, that, that, you're gonna, that you have to sulk down and be the first one to say, I'm sorry. What it means is you've got an obligation to make it right between them because that's your brother in Christ. And if you can't get along with them, how in the world can you get along with people in the world? If you can't make it right with them, you're never going to be effective in the world in which you live. Can you say amen to that? You have a responsibility. You don't need to pray about it. You need to do it. Now, let me tell you a quick illustration. There was a man walking down the beach one day. Poofed his chest out. Had his new trunks on. Getting his tan. And he's walking down this beach as a single man on the prowl for a lady. And all of a sudden, flying over the head was a seagull. And seagulls did what seagulls do. And doo-doo landed on the end of that old boy's nose. Poof! And that guy said, Hi! You just pooped on me! Get back here! Take that off! What does a seagull do? Have no idea they just pooped on your parade. They're flying down the beach, and this guy's walking around, and he said, hey, dude, you got poop on your nose. That's all right. I'm going to wait till he gets back here and washes it off. They pooped on me. And before long, everything and everywhere he looks and everything he does is through the eyes of poo-poo. And before long, the smell gets kind of bad, so the guy's like, all right, fine. Got to get this off my nose. He wipes it off. But he refuses to wash his hand because he don't want to forget what they did. So every once in a while he sees the seagull flying over. Uh-huh. I don't know if you were him or not, but I remember that. How I many knows that'd just be stupid, wouldn't it? See, the wiping it off your nose is the act of forgiveness. The washing your hands is the act of forgetting it and putting it behind you. Oftentimes you're offended. That person has no idea what they did. They're just flying through the game of life. And they did not know that what they did landed on you. And if you walk around all mad and hurt, and what does it do? It doesn't affect them. They're flying on to the next one. They're flying to steal another chip from another guy. And here you are, you feeling the brunt of it because you're not willing to forgive. Come on, somebody, that's good preaching now. Now, I want us to look at something that I believe that, and I'm going to end this up. I'm not for sure how I'm doing on time. How am I doing on time, bro? Am I good? How many of you guys will give me five more minutes? Raise your hand. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. I'm good, man. I'm good. I could preach that message I wanted to. I just right after this one. We're good to go. I said all that to say this. We must learn to communicate in the world in which we live. There's only one job. Listen, there's only one thing you can do here that you can't do there. Brother, you know what's going to be cool about hunting in heaven? I hunt in heaven. I don't have to gut that sucker. I don't have to pull it out of the woods. I don't have to go cut it up. You know, if I want deer meat, I just say, deer meat. Oh, 
yes. Heaven's going to be awesome, dude. The biggest buffet. <sighs> don't have to worry about gaining weight. Hold. You don't even have to go to sleep. You can just live at the buffet. That's going to be heaven for me, baby. Buffet. Glory to God. There's only one thing that you can do here that you can't do there. And that is take people with you. We are called for one job and one job only. The whole reason why when you came to the altar and you surrendered your life to God, that God didn't just pull down the big Kirby tube and suck you up to heaven, was because He has a job for you to do that only you can accomplish. I can't reach the people that God has placed in your strata of, of influence. I can't reach them. You are uniquely qualified to do it. And if you don't do it, it might not ever get done. Therefore, we must learn to communicate in the world in which we live. Many times, it's like we're talking a different language than the world is talking. We're speaking this language that the world just don't understand. Because, you know, we're, we're talking about, I remember as a young man, I worked at a nursing home and I had to be at work at 5 a.m. I'm not a morning person. The only time I want to see 5 a.m. is on the back side of my eyelid. And I'd get to work at 5 a.m. and I'd, I had a 30-minute drive to get there. But I would, I, would, I would sing worship songs, get my heart in tune with the Lord because I was going to be ministering. I saw it not as a job, as a ministry. And, and, and I, would, I would sing songs. And this one lady told me one time, she's like, dude, you make more noise than anybody ever heard in the morning. I said, honey, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Woo! She looked at me like, ooh, cuckoo, cuckoo. One guy came to me one time and said, dude, do you like horror movies? No, not really, man. Why? You're all the time talking about blood, man. It's like you got a factuation with blood. I say, boy, it was by the blood of the Lamb that I was saved. Now, we all know that. He looks at me like, this dude is into like sacrifice or something. He's like butchering lands in his backyard. There's something wrong with that boy. Now, obviously, I'm exaggerating it to prove a point. All right? We, as Christians, often talk a different language. When I go to India, man, I would get frustrated because I'm wanting something to eat. And they're bringing me everything but food. Food, man. Food, big belly, food, bring food. <laughs> and they ain't bringing me nothing to eat. See, that's the way the world feels. They feel alienated from us because we are speaking a language that they just flat out don't understand. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. We must learn to speak the language of non-believers. That's, that's their spiritual, we need to know, what's their spiritual understanding? Where are they from? Are they going to understand what I'm about to say or not? We've got to figure out what kind of communicator they are. Listen to me, guys. Here's the way a bottom liner wants to preach the gospel. Hey, brother, turn or burn. Yeah. Turn or burn, baby. And, and, and somebody who's not a bottom liner looks at him like, huh? Huh? I don't know what that man's talking about. 
See? And then in, in, in the cruise control, they want, they want to witness, man. They want to tell you about, oh, back in 1902, <laughs> I had post-nasal drip. I had corns on my toes, which has nothing to do with what they're about to tell you, but they throw it in there. And then by the time they get to the actual message, the person's lost. So you see what I'm saying? So you not only need to identify what kind of communicator they are, like we discussed earlier, but I'm also here to tell you that you've also got to watch using a lot of Christian vernacular or jargon that they just are not going to understand. Can you say amen? Matter of fact, uh, when we learn to communicate with each other, that's when we really learn to communicate with the world. That's when we learn to build a bridge of, of communication to the world in which we live. And guess what? The same rules apply. The world needs to know that you love them. Most Christians don't come across like they love non-believers. You're going to hell, boy! You're going to hell! Grandma wonders why she tells her grandkids, you're going to hell in a handbasket, boy! You're going to split hell wide open! Then they wonder why nobody wants to listen to grandma. See, you've got to create an atmosphere. That atmosphere we talked about earlier of love, acceptance, and, and understanding, and trust. Now listen, we're, we don't have to accept their sin. We don't have to accept their behavior. It can deplore us. But how many knows that we can love them and accept them as a person, as a created man or woman of God? Can you say Amen. We need to understand where they're coming from. They weren't raised the way you were raised. They weren't messed up like you were. No, just kidding. <laughs> and if they don't trust us, we have no ability to speak into their lives. Now, I'm going to spend about five minutes on this point right here, and I'm going to be finished. Because I talked about this whole communication message. I believe it will revolutionize your church if you start applying it. Practical, very practical. But I believe that if you would take the message and start applying it to your life outside the four walls of these church, I believe that these pews would not fill all the people who want to come in. Let me tell you the number one way in which to communicate to the lost. You need to point not to their fallenness, but to their need. When I was a kid, we used to, we used to sing the little kiddie songs, you know. The wise man built his house upon a rock. You guys sing those out west? All right. The wise man built his house. Now, one of that used to be my favorite was, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as our Savior passed him by, he looked up in the tree. And all of a sudden, we quit singing. <clears throat> Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. But is that really what happened? Jesus didn't look up and say, Hey, you little short, no good for nothing thief. Get your little butt down here. I'm going to your house because I'm setting you straight. That's the way most Christians want to witness. Invite me over to your house. I'll set you straight. I'll get you out of that hell you got yourself into. Stop pointing to people's fallingness and start pointing to their What was Zacchaeus' number one need? The scripture is plain. He, he needed to be loved. 
He felt rejected because he was short. He felt rejected because of his position. He felt rejected because he was a thief. He needed someone to love him. And Jesus went by and stopped out of all the people there. He said, I'm going to your house to eat. That's the most intimate thing that a Jewish man could do with another Jewish man. Is to sit down and have a meal with him. The religious people, it ticked them off. Matter of fact, I hate religious people. I'll just be honest with you. I, am not, I don't have a religious bone in my body. I just love Jesus, and there's a huge difference. Do you say amen? Religion, over the, over the years, religion has done nothing but hurt people, harm people, kill people. But Jesus has come to set them free. How did Jesus set Zacchaeus free? Not by saying, get down here, boy. He pointed to his need, not his fallenness. Hey, I want to go eat with you. Come on over. Jesus, if you've read the story, Jesus never laid out the plan of salvation, never led him through the sinner's prayer, never told him. The guy came to him and said, whoa. Didn't even have to say it, didn't even have to preach. The fact that Jesus loved him enough and he felt that love, he felt that acceptance. He felt, my God, this dude is building a bridge to me, man. And you know what? I trust him and because I trust him, I'm going to him, and he said, I want to give you everything I have. I want to follow you anywhere you go. Amen. Folks, if you want to see people start thronging to the doors of our church, stop pointing to their fallenness and start reaching out to meet their need. Come on, brother. Yeah. Start finding what they're courting. Now, we as a church, as we, we try to do that. We're going to go down to the park and give away free hot dogs. Woo! That's going to get them saved. You don't get nobody saved by giving them a free hot dog. Because you have not built a bridge to them. You just fed them. You know, I, I know it's you know, the quickest way to man's you know, heart is through his stomach. And I understand that. But listen, unless you've got a life supply of hot dogs, he ain't going to follow you. But if you really start pointing to what his need truly is, then you're going to start making a difference in that man's life. We need to look beyond their sinfulness and their shortcomings and their faults. And make a strong, asserted effort to communicate with the world. Now, I believe that there's lives laying in the balance. How many believe that? I believe there's lives laying in the balance. And I believe that we have death and life in our tongue. Can you say amen? I want you to stand to your feet with me. Psalms chapter 141, verse 3. David said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. His son writes, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Somebody say death and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what is the power in communication? Life or death. You have the ability to speak life into somebody's life, or you have the ability to speak death. My question to you this morning is, what kind of communicator are you to the world? This right here is the practice ground. This is where we work out the kinks. This is where we, we, we get the nuts and bolts tightened up. 
but it's out in the world is where the rubber truly meets the road and where we make a difference. If you've never, ever, ever built a bridge over adversity to someone and led them across that bridge to salvation, then I'm here to tell you, you are disobedient to the scriptures. There's only one job that you have on earth. Are you hearing me? What you do for a living puts food on the table, turns your lights on, and keeps this world comfortable. That's not your job. That's not your vocation. That's your bivocation. Your vocation, your job as a believer is you are in the armies of the Lord. Some of us took that to mean get your machine guns out and start firing. No. We have death and life and the power of our tongue. He said, well, man, just for me telling them, they're not, listen to me, folks. The Bible says that, that the foolishness of the cross is salvation to them that believe it. The Bible says that we behold the feet of those who preach the good news. We've got the greatest message on earth. We've got the answer to all of world's problems. I remember watching Barbara Walters years ago, and she was interviewing the richest man in Hollywood. This dude had billionaire homes all over the world. They showed his bathroom, dude. It was four times the size of my house. Who wants to go do your business in a mausoleum? You know what I'm saying? Whoa, cut me in a little private closet. I'm good to go. Dude had everything. He had yachts, boats, planes, servants, butlers. The man had everything. And Barbara Walters said, I'll never forget, I was watching Flipping Through, and Barbara Walters says, man, you have everything in the world. And she started to say something. He interrupted her. He said, yes, but something's still missing, and I don't know what it is. I'm yet to find it. He searched for it. Through all kinds of, do you, do you realize the highest suicide rate it's to those people we consider wealthy. Do you, do you realize the highest depression rate are those people who, who have it all, as the world says? Money's not the answer, folks. We've got the answer, Brother Derek. We have life in our lips. But too many of us restrain and hold it back, using it as a weapon against humanity instead of using it as a tool to bring healing. Can you say amen? amen. I want you to do me a favor this morning. I know I went over and I apologize. But I want you to come down and pray with me today. All of us, let's just join to the front. Whether you like this message this morning or not is irrelevant. Whether you need this message this morning or not, that's what's relevant. And I'm here to tell you that no matter how shy you are, how backwards you are, well, pastor... We, we, we pay the pastor to do that. That's what his salary is for, to get out there and reach the lost. That's wrong. There are people that you can reach that pastor can never touch. Can you say amen? amen. Well, pastor, I'm just not wired that way. I'm a shy person. Nowhere in the Bible does it say preach the gospel except for those that are shy or those that are too busy or those who are... There's no exceptions to the rule. So you're either obedient this morning or you're disobedient. That's the only two questions. You're either obedient or you're not. And I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that most of us have a level of disobedience when it comes to sharing our faith with the world that needs it. Maybe we've been burned. Maybe we, we, maybe we have tried and failed and it hurt our feelings.
Maybe we're embarrassed because we don't have enough knowledge ourselves. If that's true, do something about it. Turn your bedroom into a Bible college. You know, the reason why I started pastoring a church at 20 years old was not because I was all that, not because who my daddy was. It wasn't because God loved me more than others. It was because I turned my bedroom into a Bible college. It became the life flow to my life. And when you start letting the living water flow in you, it's got to flow out of you. Can you say amen? And when that living water's flowing in and flowing out, it has to affect the people that you're around. Can you say amen? amen. Build bridges. Create atmospheres. Now, I really want to get down where the rubber meets the road. Is that okay? I don't count anybody that we lead to Christ. I don't count them for my ministry. I only count the people that I do on an individual basis. And let me tell you what I do. I'm, I'm methodical about it. I'm purposeful about it. Matter of fact, when I, was in, when I first went into the ministry... When I was in the nursing home business, man, I was leading people to Jesus like crazy. I even led a guy to the Lord on the toilet. No joke, man. God said, tell him. I'm like, tell him. Whoa, can we, can we finish here, Lord? Make a long story short, I led him to Christ sitting on the John. His name was John. <laughs> I led John to the Lord on the John. Three days later, he died. Two weeks after that, I was flipping through pictures, and I saw this picture, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Folks, I'm telling you, if it wasn't an audible voice, I believe that it was. He's with me because of what you've done. When I started pastoring, I started realizing I didn't have anybody to witness to because everybody was getting saved in the church. I didn't have any meaningful relationships with non-saved people. So you know what I did? I started searching, and I tried to find the most heathens I could find. And I found that my local fire department was filled full of vile heathens. And I joined the fire department. I didn't want to. I was too busy. My life was hectic. I go to those meetings and I'd rather been shot in the toe. But I realized I was there because I'm in the Lord's army. Make the long story short, my fire chief gave his heart to the Lord, became my men's leader. I, I found the most vile guy I could find and say, He's it. I put my target on him, and it took me about two years to build that bridge and create that atmosphere. But once it happened, he started coming to church, to my church, because he felt obligated, not because he was saved. And one day I told him, I said, you need to have an encounter with the Lord, and my prayer is that you do. He called me one day and said, I almost died last night. They rushed me to the hospital. He said, God spoke to me. I gave my heart to Jesus this morning. Now get up here and tell me more. <laughs> I go to the hospital, walk in the hospital doors, and the dude is preaching to the nurses. He's telling them about God's love. He just got saved two hours ago. He's telling them about God's love, and he's reaching these people for Christ. I would go in, and I would find someone like, dude, that would make a cool Christian. I didn't walk up to him and say, Will, you're going to hell, boy! <laughs> I didn't go up to him like a, like a pompous jerk who had all the answers. I built a bridge, a unique bridge. Every situation's unique. Found out this guy wanted to learn how to work out. I used to be a bodybuilder. Still am. I'm just building a different body now. <laughs> so I told him I needed a workout partner. It worked. And we're working out. 
Now, I didn't just do, I didn't treat him like a piece of meat. I truly built a friendship and a relationship. About a month into it, he found out I was a preacher. So he started coming to church because he felt obligated. But I'll never forget the day that I led him to Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the day that I laid hands on him and he received the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget the day that I commissioned him and trained him and released him for ministry. We sent him out as a missionary from our Pentecostal organization into the Methodist movement. He goes into a Methodist church. Oh, I'd love to tell you the whole story, but I don't have time. 60-some kids in his youth group, 45 of them get filled with the Holy Ghost. The pastor comes to him and said, hey, dude, you're going to have to uh, uh, like preach on the Holy Ghost because I'm having all these people ask questions and I don't know how to answer them. Why? Because someone was willing to build a bridge. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes in building those bridges, you can get burned. I feel led to tell this part of the story, so I want you to listen carefully. I, I got real burned. Found a guy, very unique situation. He had spent the night with a guy in our church at their house. He came to church that morning, and I preached, and afterwards he walked up to me, never met him, never seen him before in my life. He looked at me and says, I am scared to death of you. I said, why? He said, every question I asked last night, you answered this morning. I said, God's got your number, bud. Give me a call. You got any more questions? He came the next week. He walked up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, it happened again, man. What's happening to me? On Monday morning, he calls me up and says, get to my house right now. I didn't know the guy. I didn't know, was he going to kill me? What was he going to do? I showed up. I sat down. He starts bawling. Led him to Jesus. Invested over a year and a half of my life into him. Took him on a missions trip that I paid for, that I raised the money for for him to go. And one day, he did something vile and did something that, that really hurt me deeply. And it, it, you can become gun shy. And I remember going to this young man that I told you about earlier, the one I, my workout partner, he's my best friend in the world. And I went up to him and I was telling him, you know, how hurt I was and so forth. And he stopped me and he says, Josh, let me tell you something. Do you know what I pray for every day? I said, what? He said, I pray that God would send a Josh Grimes to my brother. He said, I didn't want to have anything to do with church. I didn't want to have anything to do with religion. I thought it was all bunk. I thought it was stupid. He said, but you built a bridge to me of friendship. And you showed me what being a Christian was all about by example. That's what made me want to give my heart to the Lord. He goes, my brother lives in New York City. And if you don't have a person like that, I'm afraid he'll never get saved. You know what? All the pain of rejection that happened from that son in the faith that did things damaging to me. You know what? I just forgave it right then and there. The guys never come back, never said sorry. And it doesn't matter. If I see him today, I'm going to hug him and love on him. Why? Because you know what? There's a lot more people to reach out there. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of the Word of God. The Scripture says that the Word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, and is a judge of the attitudes and the intents of our hearts. So God, I pray that like a surgical instrument, the Word of God would begin to split us down the middle, separating the, the soulish, selfish realm of us That our spirit would be in tune with you. That we would respond to this message this morning with a conviction deep inside that said, I must build bridges. I must create an atmosphere. God, I pray that we would not forget this message, but it would resonate in our hearts.
it would stir us up on the inside and begin to change the way we act and the way we live. For Lord, I know that the power of your word is only found in its application. If we don't apply it, it means nothing. So this morning, Lord, we make a vow to apply the word of God to our life. That we will become bridge builders, relationship builders. That, Father, we will stop pointing to people's sinfulness and their fallenness. And, Lord, we'll start pointing to their needs and reaching out, beginning to meet their needs. That, Father, that we would use the church house as an incubator, as a practice ground to get better at learning to communicate. And then, God, we will take it to the world. Father, I pray that in the next year that every single person in this room will have led someone to Jesus. Convict us every day that we do not. And lead us to a place of surrenderance and submission. In Jesus' precious name. I want you to lift your hands with me. Let's just praise the Lord for a moment. Go ahead and lead us out in something, brother, could you? Sing better as one day. Sing better is a one day in your courts. Better is a one day in your house. Better is a one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. Oh, better is a one day in your courts. Better is a one day in your house. Better is a one day in your courts. Thousands else sing better is one day. Better is one day. Better is. Oh, better is one day, better is one day, oh, better is one day, thousands elsewhere, cause better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your Father, I just pray right now for each and every one of us. Lord, the message that is in us is inspired by you by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm just reminded of your ability to get right to the heart of the issue with people. Lord, I feel like you've done it for Gateway Church through Josh today. Like Jesus with the woman at the well, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, when we're with our friends and family members, those that don't know Christ, Father, I pray that the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the gift of prophecy, Lord God, would be at work in us so that we could bring a word that is encouraging and refreshing and inspiring to those that we touch. I pray the gospel of Jesus Christ would come out of us in such a way 
they see it as nothing but an invitation, Lord God, an invitation to come close to you. Not an invitation to religion, but an invitation to relationship. Lord, we're all thankful today for our relationship with you. We ask your blessings, Lord God, on the rest of our day, our week, Lord. And Lord, give us opportunities. Let us see them, Lord, right in front of us. Those that we come into contact with. Let us look for that divine moment that, Lord, you're inspiring us to share your love with someone else and to speak your name.